Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to The Eternal Optimist podcast. My name is Matt Drinkon, and I am your guest host today, subbing in for the main host. Who's that? That is your inner thinker. The inner thinker. The one who's always in there, giving you feedback, giving you advice, telling you what to do, what not to do, some of it positive, a lot of it not positive. You know, and I'm going to guest host for that person today. So just if you empower me, I will take control right now and I will share a story and share some of that inner subconscious that will help you. This is the show to help you, by the way. Uh, before we get started, I want to encourage you that you can connect with me on social media. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at The Eternal Optimist Podcast. Eternal Optimist Podcast. I do a live stream every morning, Monday through Saturday at 7 a.m. Eastern time for 15 to 20 minutes and talk about what's going on, a day in the life of an eternal optimist. So feel free to join us for some energy, for some life lessons, and for overcoming challenges. That's what we do here. Now, simply put, today's conversation with Rena Friedman Watts, it's amazing. She's awesome. I had so much fun talking to her. She's genuine. She has a heart of gold. She keeps it real. Rena is a television producer and a content creator. She's worked on producing such shows as Court TV, Nanny 911, and The Jerry Springer Show. Have you ever wondered how Jerry Springer books all those guests on his show? All those very interesting, unique stories about personal tragedy, personal triumph, and all the drama that comes with it? Well, guess what? Rena, she used to work for him, and she tells us the story of how she used to book guests. It's a pretty cool story. Uh, her company is Megawatts Productions. She does full-scale production, fully customized on any and all platforms. She's a legendary connector who knows how to book big guests. Guests like Howard Schultz, Barbara Corcoran, and Derek Sivers, who she booked on Kathy Heller's podcast, which helped boost their downloads from 4 million to 15 million downloads. Wow, that's a lot. She has her own podcast, Better Call Daddy, where stories are told that haven't been told yet. She's really good at teasing those stories out of us. And she also sprinkles in some outside wisdom from one of her trusted advisors, her dad. We talked today about self-awareness and self-love with some stories of overcoming rejection, her own internal story, and she has an amazing story. This is a great a masterclass today in self-awareness and self-love and being a great connector. She does that. She makes me feel super comfortable right from the get-go. So sit back and listen to a change maker, a successful mompreneur, and my new friend, Rena Friedman Watts. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And Marina Hector, he referred to you, so you know him. How do you know Hector? Hector was just a guest on my podcast. I saw that actually hit my social media feed. I saw that face in there. I didn't listen to it yet, but I saw it was in there. Yeah. So Hector and I connected through Twitter, I believe. He and I were both podcasters and we're both active kind of in the podcasting community. And he was talking about the underrepresentation of women in podcasting. And I had no idea that women only make up like, I think less than 30% of all podcasts. And so he kind of wanted to gather a bunch of women podcasters and talk about the unseen challenges in podcasting. And 
he said that women were super influential in his life. Like the women in his family were kind of take charge and lead the way. And I was like, oh, that's so cool that he felt moved to do that. So that's how we connected. Yeah, cool. I met him through Kasim Aslam, who has the Perpetual Traffic podcast, and Kasim's a front row dad, and it turns out Hector's a front row dad, and Hector came from Cutco, the vector world, which I did, probably lovingly, so we connected right away, and I've referred him to a bunch of other people that are, that are uh, starting podcasts and running podcasts. I'm a big fan, and that's why I asked, just curious uh, how we got connected. And now that we are connected, you just said something a second, you used to be a booker for Jerry Springer show? What was that to you? My very first job out of college was Jerry Springer Show. What? What was the application process like for getting that job? And then like once you're on the job, it just seems like a big show of anything can happen. And it's so unique. I've watched it a number of times. So I'm curious. I could make jokes, but I'll tell you the truth. You know, Mardi Gras, the application process, it's crazy. But I was working at an NPR station at Purdue. I went to Purdue University. Number one basketball team in the country. Boom. (laughs) Yes. Go Boilermakers. So I drove up to Chicago from West Lafayette. I interviewed at WGN. I was working on a radio station on campus and wanted to work in radio. However, there wasn't really a job opening or I didn't get the job at the time. I saw there was a flyer that Jerry Springer was looking for interns on the same trip in the same courtyard. So I walked across to NBC Tower. I told them I was there to meet with the intern coordinator. This was like pre-9-11. Got through security and started two weeks later. Wow. Okay. And then from there, like booking people on the show. This is interesting. (laughs) Like it's crazy now, like looking back 20 years later and now having even interviewed Jerry for my own podcast. But I did not realize 100% what I was getting myself into. I mean, I was a fan of the show. I wanted to work in entertainment. I wanted to work in television. But there was a lot that went into booking those guests that you just cannot imagine. Like, you're wrangling adults like that are doing crazy things. So I booked prostitutes and transsexuals and cheating love affairs and girls that were 14 catching their grandmother in bed with their boyfriend and getting them to tell their story and all of that unfold on stage is just really a production. Wow. I mean, I have no idea what goes into the making of that. I can imagine some of the conversations you were privy to were fascinating. And can you give me one example? Yeah. So that one that I kind of alluded to, which actually went into best of Jerry's episodes in 25 years was I had a 14 year old girl call me. She caught her grandmother in bed with her 18 year old boyfriend. And she suspected that her mom had slept with him too. And she, the 14 year old was pregnant by him. I mean, the story had so many layers, so many twists and turns. It went the entire show. And that story got me promoted from associate producer to producer in eight months. Wow. Wow. Did you tease the story out and keep the person interested? Was it your job to find them and then cultivate into the show? Or I mean, how did that get you the promotion? That's a fascinating story. And you got someone to tell it and agree to be on stage telling it. I mean, that sounds pretty challenging in itself. That was the time when People called 1-800-96-JERRY and they left a message and like a call-in. That is how we got the majority of our guests back in 2001. They would call 1-800-96-JERRY, they'd leave a message and one of the producers would call them back. So I called her back and what I learned from the people around me that were bringing the best guests onto the show was the person who calls the show, you have to make your best friend right? Because they have to rope in the other people in the story. So if that person loves you, they are going to go above and beyond to get the other people involved. So first I had to make the 14 year old feel like my best friend. And then she got the grandmother. The mom had just been released from prison like two months prior. I think she was on house arrest. We sent like a limo all the way to Georgia to pick them up at their lot space. I don't even think she was allowed to leave the state. And the 18-year-old boyfriend was like, woo, you know, like, free trip to Chicago and some smokes, I'll be there. (laughs) Wow. Man, fascinating. This is not even part of our script, what we normally talk about, but it's so fascinating. I just love your story and your energy. It's so engaging. I like to talk about challenges, 
things that have been hard for you and what you learned from it and how it, maybe it's informed you or it's taught you something that now you're using uh, to serve the world. So challenge, lessons learned, and your exciting vision for the future, what you're doing now. Some of the things I captured beforehand, intensity. The first word I saw in your intake form, I freaking love it. People accuse me of being too intense sometimes. I don't think you're too intense at all. I think you are like the ideal show up this way. I'm a fan already. Huge. Aw, thank you. I've listened to some of your stuff. So I'm a fan of just how you show up in general and interview and talk to people. So intensity is one thing. I know what not to talk about. And then you talked about podcasting and content creation and mompreneurship. So I think we have a fertile ground to ask about challenges and learnings and where you're going in the world. You know, I have a podcast. I've had some well-known people on it. If you're interested in introductions, I'd love to help out that way or anything you want to have a question about or anything I can help you at all love to. That's very generous and sweet. Thank you. You come from a trusted source and I liked you instantly. Isn't that interesting how you can get a feel for someone in like literally a couple seconds? I'm not used to seeing you with this black background. Normally I'm used to seeing you. Are you in a closet right now? Where are you right now exactly? So (laughs) normally on my show, I actually record on Zoom because it's easier for my dad. I am in a podcasting studio that my husband built for me. How cool is that? That your husband is an awesome badass for building you a studio. Mad props to Mr. Friedman Watts. Mr. Watts, yeah. I kept the Friedman because that was like my maiden name and all of my film credits were in that name. And then I added the Watts because I think it was after kid number three and them labeling all of the kids in the hospital Friedman. My husband was like, how many kids do we have to have before I get the last name? (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, so Watts came at the back of the third child. I'm curious about this because I have all daughters and maybe part of me getting married and having families. I wanted to have some sons so I can carry on this drink on family name. But now if it's going to be carried on, it's going to be Friedman drink on. I love that. My dad has three daughters and three sisters. Yeah. We're making the Watts name Jewish, which is kind of funny. Oh, well, to each their own. Sounds exciting. Was that a challenging conversation? Because I have a little bit of pride around the name and the name kind of goes away if they get married and take someone's name. And it's their life. They choose. And I'm curious, is there any like a charge behind that conversation? Because it seems like the prenuptial conversation seems like one that could be challenging. I haven't had a prenup and I definitely don't agree in those. I think that for me, I feel like a prenup would be like a curse. It just kind of actually, most of my life has just evolved naturally. (laughs) Like I didn't even think when I kept the Friedman that I'm honoring my dad's name, but I actually like that reason better. I truthfully was just kind of like, oh, all my film credits have Friedman under it. I'll just drop the joy and add Watts, you know? (laughs) My middle name was Joy. Yeah, but I I dropped that legally, kept the Freedman. But hey, that does totally honor my dad because he didn't get a son. Kept that alive a little bit. Maybe my kids will like want to do that or something. Yeah, but right now they're all just Watts. Thank you for your perspective. It's just great to hear. Everyone thinks a little bit differently and yours is no different than just unique and amazing. And I love it. I'd love to ask you, Rena, what is something that's been hard for you in your life? And you can take us back to childhood or anywhere starting like, Two minutes ago. Well, probably not two minutes ago, because I probably haven't given you anything that's been really hard in your life. But I would say that anything from the last day to childhood, you have a fertile ground. What's been challenging for you that you can share with our audience today? Yeah, I would say, and I wouldn't even think that people would really imagine this about me, but I think my biggest challenge has honestly been enough belief and confidence in myself. I don't know when it started that my confidence went away, but I think it happened when I auditioned for this youth performing arts school in high school. And I had put on these performances for my family and my grandparents and everybody told me I was great. And I loved to sing in the shower and loved to sing for my family. And maybe I had this like false sense of that I was good. And then I auditioned for this youth performing arts school and I didn't get in. I think that actually crushed something in me. And my dad, that was the first time I saw my dad turn a no into a yes. He went to the head of that music department and was like, what does she have to do to get in? Like, I'll pay for her to get music lessons and learn how to play piano and sing in a foreign language. Please give her another shot to re-audition. And I swallowed my pride because my dad went to bat for me. He actually said, my daughter is like an outside horse. She might start from behind, but she finishes in the front. Wow. Some people might be offended by that, but it was a good old Kentucky line, you know? And I was like, 
yeah, dad. And so I took music lessons and I swallowed my pride and I re-auditioned and I did get in, which, you know, yay. Like I really did want to go there, but here's what happened. For four years, I never sang out. I just wanted to blend in. I felt like everybody around me was better than me. And I looked actually back at my yearbook and even people wrote in my yearbook, like, Rena, you've got this. Have more confidence in yourself. Like other people saw that in me that I had just not really had that intensity or had that passion or unleashed myself, right? And my senior year, I went to school with Nicole Scherzinger, who's like now blown completely up. She's been on every show. I think The Voice. What other show did she blow up on? She was the lead singer of the Pussycat Dolls. Anyway, she took me into the music closet and she was like, Rena, this is the day when all the colleges come to the school and you can audition and you can get a scholarship to college. She was like, I've seen you. I'm going to sit in the front row. I'm going to bob my head. She totally affirmed me. I sang to her and I ended up getting two offers, full rides to college. Wow. Yeah. And that I feel like too has been like, that's what my dad does for me now. (laughs) Like now he's that encourager. But I think in order to have confidence, I think in order to be a good entrepreneur, to be able to be a risk taker, it all really boils down to self-awareness, self-love, having encouragement. And I feel like by creating a podcast, by creating my own business, by taking risks, by doing things I didn't think that I could do. I mean, I stayed in that program for four years when I wanted to quit every day. I wanted to quit every freaking day, but I couldn't let my dad down. I couldn't let myself down and I completed it. And even though I didn't end up like becoming a vocal music major or staying at that school that gave me the scholarship, I transferred to Purdue. Yeah, I feel like I have gotten confidence more so from grit from repetition, from sticking with things, from being committed. Yeah. So you went to the place where you were rejected. Your dad turned the no into a yes. You hated it every day of that. And you wanted to quit all the time, but you didn't want to let your dad down. And then Nicole pulls you aside in the music closet and says, listen, affirmative, I'm going to sit there. You had another person there that believed in you and you've got the two full ride offers. And this is the turning point where you start to regain that confidence. Exactly. Wow. That is such a good way of summing that up. Yes, that is it. You got it. Well, just your whole path there. I think so many of us can be in a place where we get rejected and we just stop, but you had someone in your corner and you didn't want to let them down. So you had a little bit of a support system there. Then you had someone else come and tell you, you can do this. And they supported you. Then you did it. And now you've got the confidence. Where did you take the confidence after you went to Purdue, you did the music? Where did that lead you next, Rena? Yeah, it led me to Jerry Springer, to be honest. And, you know, I even connect that, those stories, because I got rejected again at WGN. And had I not faced a rejection, I might not have had my eyes open to that flyer opportunity that was in the same courtyard. I might have just hopped back in my car and drove home. But I paused and was like, let me call my dad. What do you think about this? Hey, you're a fan of the show. I'm a fan of the show. Here's another opportunity. I think I'm going to stay here for a minute. Well, you tell me, what are the, some of the basic or the, the core skills that you developed and honed in your first role right there with Springer that you're now using in your entrepreneurial ventures? That's such a great question. And I definitely think there are skills that I am still using today that I got there. One mm-hmm. thing is if you can make people your best friend, oh my God, in any industry, if people like you and they connect with you and they feel like they are your best friend. Oh man, does that lead to good opportunities, opportunities that you can't even dream up yourself. Mm. So that's what I learned. You know, how do you get people to take their clothes off on national television? How do you get people to go pummel somebody out of their chair? How do you get people to hop on a flight that's afraid to fly? A lot of those people came because they wanted to meet me and Jerry. Wow. Well, that's a skill that you use today. And I feel it because instantly I felt a connection and it was so easy to talk with you. So I loved it. On a scale of one through 10, let's talk about the word intensity for a moment. On a scale of one through 10, no intensity at all, kind of out there as a one. And 10 is like super intense and focused all the time. If the average person is a five right there in the middle, where are you on the scale of intensity? Oh man, I'm definitely closer to a 10. And some people can't handle all of that intensity, actually. 
That's probably another challenge that I've had to overcome or to tone down. Because if you work for somebody that wants the spotlight and they don't want you in the spotlight or they want you to play second fiddle or they want you to just be behind the scenes, you have to know Mm -hmm. your customer, right? When it comes to intensity, I felt that you mirror an excellent intensity. I think it's the right level. For me, at least, I love it. It's direct, it's clear, it's transparent, it's fast, to the point, and loving. I mean, it's, it's got all of the facets to it. And I wonder where that has served you in your entrepreneurial ventures and where it may have been kind of a place where you had to dial it back just a little bit, if you did. Right. So where I've had to dial it back is kind of like what I said, like I've worked for some influencers who they wanted the spotlight. Right. And even though I might have been a part of their group or one of their coaches or on their team, they wanted the light. Right. I've also worked with other content creators that have even said, like, hey, I'm the face of this. Would Mm -hmm. that be okay with you? Like, can you dial it back? And I said, it's interesting that you asked me that question. So maybe that wouldn't be the right opportunity. Because if they're already feeling threatened by me, even before collaborating, then maybe that isn't the right fit. And I've tried it where it didn't work. And so if you're picking up on that or feeling threatened by that, yeah, that is interesting. Well, a definition in my mind, and I'm not an influencer yet, maybe I influence the people, but I would say this definition of influencer, someone who influences someone who's supposed to be the face or supposed person doing the influencing. And if I can hire someone as an influencer, if I can hire someone who may have a super strong personality intensity that helps me in my career, that gets me to where I want to go, that would be positive, would it not? I don't understand why if you're so intense or so focused, if you're aligned towards where they want to go and your intensity is aligned with them, I don't know why they would be challenged by you. It seems like you could help them a catalyst. What else is interesting too? I mean, look, look at Gary V. He's totally out there with that high energy and with the cursing. And sometimes he makes a PG version and an R-rated version. But like when I moved to LA, even from Chicago, I had people tell me that you might want to take Jerry Springer off your resume, or you might want to say you work for NBC or Universal or... Yeah, I spent actually a lot of time defending that role. And in the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, I feel like I bent too much to the opportunities that I was seeking. I feel like now I'm like, hey, if you don't like that part of me, that's who I am. And that's what I'm proud of. And no, I'm not going to take that off my resume. No, I'm not going to take that off my LinkedIn. If you want me to operate from your account and be you, I'm totally happy doing that, but I'm not going to change who I am to fit you. That does sound like some Gary V stuff right there. You got to be you. People are going to love you or not love you, but you got to be you. Totally you. And I feel that you are you and I love it. Thank you. Yeah. I do feel like that comes with confidence though, because even as an entrepreneur in the beginning, you're like, you're willing to do so many things that maybe even aren't your strengths. You're like, could I do that? I'll try that. (laughs) Right. But do I like that? Is that benefiting us both? right? Like there's so much. Where does your confidence come from now? What's the source of this belief system now? Because it came from a place where it wasn't there and then some things happened. Where does it come from now? You know, it's interesting. I believed that it came from the number of opportunities and shows that I had worked on. I mean, when I moved to LA, it was like, okay, I'm on IMDb. I work for Nandy 911. I work for VH1. I work for E. I work for the Kyoto Brothers. And it was just like me trying to get all of these titles and credits to like make me feel like I was cool or that I was accomplished enough. But now I really feel like my confidence honestly comes from having my dad and like my support system and and a good husband and being a good mom. And it comes from fulfillment. All of those titles and all of the fame, it's empty. When I was at the top of my career, when I was working in Hollywood or when people think I'm so cool, I was probably my least fulfilled. Really? But now the support system is there and you're doing you for you. Yes. That feels way better. Yeah. Tell us more about what you do and what's driving you forward and and what's so important to you, Rena. I'd love to hear your passion, your why. Oh, man. I mean, I did an interview last night with a guy, Casey Stubbs. I'm going to give him a shout out. And his whole podcast is around investing. He talks about Bitcoin and crypto and Forex and trading I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk to this guy about. I was like, I am not able to even go there whatsoever. But then I was like, he's a dad of nine. I'm a mom of four. 
I was like, how does he teach his kids to invest in themselves? Great question. How does he give his kids special time? I've got four and have a hard time giving each one of them special time. Oh my God, that opened up such an incredibly inspirational conversation. He told me that his grandparents were married for 77 years. My grandparents were married for 66 years and they were like second parents to me. Mm -hmm. He drove 2,800 miles every summer for a month to take his nine kids to see his grandparents back home because he married somebody who lived across the country and she wanted to be close to their, to her family. That was such a rich conversation. I will never forget it. When I get interviews like that, oh my God, that is my passion. I am so driven by that. And if I can get people to talk to me and share something with me that they never would have shared, and they're like, I need to put this on my profile because this is who I am. This is my values. This is how I run my business. If I can get that out, oh my God, that's a gift. You know what else he ended the whole conversation with? He said, I went camping by myself, which can you imagine? You've got nine kids and your wife lets you go camping. I'm like, oh my God, when was the last time you were alone? And he said, while I was on that camping trip, I thought about each one of my children, what their gifts were. And I wrote them each a letter telling them their gift and what I saw that what their gift was from their father. Imagine if you told five people today the gifts that you saw in them. It's powerful. I can't imagine what would happen if that were to happen. If we all did that every day, that would truly be spreading some eternal optimism out there, spreading that good energy. You've had some connect the dots moments here. I want to string together with your support systems, with your father back with music and then with Nicole at the crest of the music situation into, you say your father's still today and having a good husband, which we'll come back to what makes a good husband in a moment. But all these things together, it sounds like you've had some people that have been really good affirmers to you? Is that an important makeup of someone who is a a support person for you? Is words of affirmation, is that your love language? Oh, 100% words of affirmation. You get it. Yes. I even had a boss. Oh, I applied to this guy through the Producers Guild of America. I got into the Producers Guild of America simply from having produced enough episodes of the Jerry Springer show. So that was amazing because when I moved to LA, I could apply for these opportunities that were insider. And Mm -hmm. so there was this guy and he was working on all the shows I wanted to work on. And I applied to this guy literally for like a year and got no response. So finally, I just sent him a one-liner and was like, well, Bill Clinton's no longer looking for interns. This job sounds like fun. And he was a huge Bill Clinton fan. And he thought that that was hysterical. So he called me in that day and he asked me if I could start that night. A lot of Hollywood is timing. A lot of Hollywood is luck and timing and like having a one-liner up your sleeve. And so he was like, if you can produce the Jerry Springer show, you can do this. He was like, I've been working in post-production for 30 years. Here's the deliverables. Call me if you need me. And I like, I knew nothing about post-production. Like I literally did not know how to output a tape. I was like, oh my God, this guy trusts me. This is crazy. But something about that made me want to figure out where I was needed. So what I did was I went into all the editor's bays and I'm like, hey, like, what do you not like doing? (laughs) You know, like, how can I help you? And it was so crazy. I ended up lasting on that show. I went from working third shift, working seven at night till seven in the morning, the whole first season to getting days and to being on that show from the pilot all the way through three seasons of the show. And I literally knew nothing about post-production when I got hired. Wow. (laughs) but you were able to get that one liner that made that person laugh and you got them in and then you found ways to add value and voila, here we are. And now a quick pause from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Singing Lessons with Matt. Back by popular demand, after the re-re-release of his Christmas anthology of lesser-known tunes like Skylar the Grey-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Yellow Snowman and Jingle Smells, Jingle Smells, Matt will change the way you think of singing lessons with slightly changed renditions of popular classics like We are the runners-up, my friends. 
And we aren't losers. We just don't win. <laughs> or love ballads like, I would do anything for love, but I won't shave my back. No, 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 I love my hairy back. For only a nominal fee, you too can learn how to sing with the soul of Aretha, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, and the range of Barry White. Practice what you preach. Call now. Let's level down your singing today. Disclaimer, if you really want to enhance your singing, call Ed Sheeran. If you want to have fun in life, loosen up a little bit, then keep listening to this podcast, the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Now back to the show. What show was that you were talking about? Nanny 911. And now I've actually had one of the nannies on my podcast, and then she introduced me to one of her cousins who was on the Carol Burnett show, and he's like a master impersonator. Roger Cabler became Robin Williams. He just released a documentary where he does a tribute to being Robin Williams, and it was remarkable, and I got to interview him. One amazing connection leads to other amazing connections. That's also a key. Amazing. So make people your best friend. One amazing connection can lead to another amazing connection. You have no idea where it can go. I love some of these philosophies. I love the confidence and the support system. What makes a good husband? Somebody who balances you out. Somebody who fills in your gaps. Like when my husband met me, I was living in LA in a guest house in the back of like a $2.5 million home. It was like a converted garage. And he noticed that I didn't lock my door. I was like, why do I need to lock my door? I was like, there's pit bulls. I'm like, I'm living in the backyard. He's like, it's LA. He's like, what? He installed a lock on my garage on like date two. I was like, ooh, I like that. He's into safety. I'm like, that's cute, right? Like that was so different than anybody I dated. And two, that's an outlier. You know, somebody that has overcome stuff. He is such an overcomer. I love overcomers. And then, you know, on our first date, I was like, what do you want our house to look like? Right. And that didn't scare him away. Like, (laughs) you got to be able to be yourself. That's the biggest thing. I mean, everybody's on their best behavior, but let that intensity shine through. Get stuck in traffic. Put yourself in some stressful situations and see how he handles it. And apparently he did well because he's still here. Also, how does his energy compare with yours is he your level of energy and intensity or does he balance you out and he's a little cooler calmer and just could match my energy it's funny we actually took second city improv together oh that was a get to know you experience he's actually a hyper intellectual it's so crazy he's quiet until he knows you but then he can match that intensity once it unleashes Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing about the good husband. So back to, you just shared a story. You're talking about going across country. You're talking to Casey on a show. Casey, what is Casey Stubbs' podcast? I want to get that shout out one more time. What was the name of that oh, one? Oh, it's about trading. I'll have to look it up. I'll put the link in the show notes. But he drove across country, 2,800 miles, nine kids, wrote letters, just great stuff there. And I wonder, you were talking about being a mompreneur with four children and being an entrepreneur. How do you balance all that? What are some of your philosophies and stories around balancing being a mompreneur? Yeah, I mean, just found out that there's a holiday party this week for my three-year-old's preschool class. And I have a shoot at that time. And I was just at Grandparents' Day two days ago with my husband's stepmom and me went to that. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so many of these days. Yes, I cherish them. But two in one week, I'm like, ah, like how, right? Like, how do I get anything done? And I'm kind of like, should I reschedule? Will I regret that? Or should I send the hubby? I'm like, he's going. I'm like, I was just there this week. So it's, it's a balance of that. Like, will I regret the 25 minute little holiday thing. Is he going to miss mommy that much? I have to say, sometimes I don't always go. You know, if I'm only doing two shoots a month, it's kind of hard to reschedule last minute, right? That's fair. It's real life and it's being an ideal parent, ideal businesswoman and everything. We want to have it perfect, but it's life. It's imperfect. It's flawed. And you can always send the hubby that one time. I think I'm sending the hubby to the one on Friday. I did go to the one yesterday. So he's going to get a little mix this week. 
good. And plus, we have technology. We can always FaceTime you in there on a break or something. If, if it's like an eight-minute performance of some kind, then there's FaceTime opportunity. I might get some mom shame on this episode, but the truth is, is that I feel like I'm a better mom when I do some stuff for me. And I really love the work that I'm doing and the people that I've chosen to work with. And am I going to go to three to four conferences a year? I might try to go to one, right? Like I might try to pick the one that I feel would be most beneficial to a client. I might try to talk my way out of traveling if it's not necessary, but I still do really like to work a little bit. I don't work full time. I am very selective with who I give my time to. And I am really trying to make more of an effort to be present in my kid's life. And I will say that a lot of the interviews that I have done with people who have good relationships with their parents, with their children that are doing things that I want to be doing, a big piece I have noticed a common theme is being present in your kid's life, being present in your partner's life, scheduling date nights, scheduling experiences. It's intentional. How would you say you've progressed on this intentionality if you had your own scale from a few years ago to now and moving forward? How are you doing in that intentionality, your scheduling? I'm learning to say no more. I have a bleeding heart. I want to be able to help everyone. And sometimes you can't. You do the best that you can. I get that from my dad. I mean, every time I saw somebody asking for a dollar, my dad would always give them. And I want to always be able to give them too, but I can't. Incredibly difficult. My family comes first, right? Like, I want to help you, but I got four kids that I also want to help. (laughs) I think you may be off in a territory right now where this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of owners that I would work with would have trouble saying no and setting boundaries. And can you trace this back to maybe when you set boundaries for the first time or how you say no? Anything around there would love to love to give a nugget to our audience of how you say no. You know, I have corporate clients and then I have like entrepreneurial clients. Like here's an example of how I work with someone. So one of my clients, they have like in-house content writers and they write like four or five questions for the podcast. And then I write the intro outro and I supervise the edit and I send it back to them. I had somebody reach out to me and I love how I work with that client. It's very systematized and it's a corporation and it pays well. But, you know, a new entrepreneur who can't afford to pay me what the corporation pays me is like, hey, I want to launch a podcast. I'm like, that's awesome. I love podcasting, right? And it came to me from a referral. It was like my next door neighbor. And this chick was a blogger and she already had an email list and she's already has some broadcasting experience. But she messages me and she was like, it started off like, hey, can I pick your brain? Or, hey, I have a question. And I'm like, okay happy to answer a question via email or happy to give you one half hour, right? One help you out session. And then I gave her a podcasting cheat sheet. She ended up paying me for that. And then she was like, Hey, do you have an editor? Hey, what platform should I use? Hey, what music should I use? Hey, what graphics should I use? And I was like, I already kind of like told her my prices and they weren't with in what she wanted to pay. And I was like, I'm so excited for you to start this podcast and you're going to be great. You have broadcasting experience. You have a built-in audience and I've helped you as much as I can right now. That's what that note looked like. Can't wait to see your show. (laughs) Right? So it's enjoyed connecting with you. I think you're on to something. You've got a great idea and I've helped you as much as I can. I have to focus on my paid clients. That's one I say often. Like, you know, I'd love to be able to hop on an hour phone call with you. Right now, I have such limited time. I have to focus on my paid clients. Great answer. Thank you for gifting us that answer. That's a fantastic response. In no way did I find that to be cutting someone off or too direct or confrontational. Just a real transparent statement. And I wish that more people would learn to set those boundaries. My dad taught me that one. And another thing that my dad has taught me, and this is actually why I wanted to start my podcast called The Better Call Daddy Show, is because he has given me so much good advice and wisdom that I was like, this advice could help other people. Like it's helped me so much. It could help others. Like that was Mm -hmm. literally the idea. You started that I call daddy show as a result of, you know, wanting to impact others and serve others. And tell us a little bit about it. Like what it's expanded to now and beginning to now a little bit about it, please. Oh my gosh. It's been crazy. Also, I was like, I've kept in touch with 
Jerry Springer's publicist for 20 years. I've I have access to all of these interesting people that I felt were unique to me, right? Like mm-hmm. Judge Alex, who I worked for, the nanny from Nanny 911, Jerry Springer. Like, and I had this, like, I always dreamed kind of of being like a broadcaster or like an investigative journalist. And I was like, yes. today you can just reach out to a news story that you find interesting and find them on social. And chances are they might do your show. So I reached out to a Jeffrey Epstein survivor after watching a Netflix show about her life. And I was like, hey, I'm a mom. You're a mom. I was like, what was it like being a mom and having people try to chase you down? You know what I mean? And like, I don't know. It was just so personal to me. If you write somebody like a very personalized pitch like that, not like, hey, I have a podcast, want to be on, but tell them how you related to their story or find some common ground back to that common ground thing. I have reached people that I never would have imagined would have said yes, or just be a little bit thoughtful. Like I heard Evan Carmichael on Ryan Holtz's podcast. And he was like saying that he loved to be people's first podcast guest. And so even though I had recorded like 18 episodes, I hadn't aired any of them yet. And I reached out to Evan Carmichael. I was like, Hey, I haven't aired any of these episodes. I personally love your content. Can I interview you and I'll air you first and you'll be my first podcast guest? And he liked that, right? Because that was just not like a pitch that he would get every day. So it's even back to like, how did I get that job at Springer? How did I get the job at Nanny 911? How did I get the job at VH1? One-liners, coming up with a pitch that not everybody says. I reached out to Podbean a couple weeks ago and was like, hey, I've been a customer for three years. You guys have never featured me. I was like, I've been featured on other apps and I'm paying you guys. You guys should do better. Boom. Then they featured me. Nice. I'm not saying that's always the best way to go about it, but like speak up, ask for what you want. Get after it. Awesome. Well, I'd love to kind of stay where you're at right here with podcasting strategies because you're an expert in this space. What are you looking for in a guest? If you can share that, I'd love to put the word out there. Maybe we can drive some cool guests your way. Well, I'm thinking a dad that's like six foot seven and has always like been the tall guy and now he's watching his kids going through that. Hey, that's a cool story. Coaching three soccer teams, running three businesses. Yes. Awesome. I went down a zip line that broke and I shattered my spine, became disabled, and then now running marathons. Boom. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's a good one. (laughs) Actually, I interviewed this guy, Rush Johns, and he fell off a billboard and somebody witnessed it. It saved his life. Broke his hip, you know, shattered multiple bones. I'm kind of leaning into the daddy theme because that seems to be what my audience likes. In the beginning, I really tried to use my reality TV show casting chops. And, you know, I interviewed a former KKK guy. I interviewed a Jeffrey Epstein survivor. I had on a sperm donor daddy. I thought, you know, do some shock and awe. But what really resonated with people was just real people willing to be vulnerable. Ooh, I got some people for you. <laughs> I'm part of a group called the Front Row Dads. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's cool. I know we didn't talk about it yet. Have you ever heard of the Front Row Dads before? I haven't. Tell oh. me. Oh, my goodness. Family men with businesses instead of businessmen with families. You know, so Ooh. we are a bunch of successful entrepreneurs who get together and work on how we become better dads. And many of us, how we become better husbands, just better humans in general. I know some guys there that are fantastic fathers that are world famous people that I'm sure would draw a crowd that have got some amazing parenting stories of being dads. I absolutely love that. I just interviewed two of the founders of Fathering Together. It's a nonprofit. It's the same thing. Fathering Together. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should check that out. There, there could be some synergy there. And then one of the founders of that has a podcast called Dads with Daughters. And I was on that show with my dad. And how special was that to hear my dad interviewed by somebody else who is a dad of daughters? And what was my dad's fear around that or disappointment around that? And what are his proudest moments? And to have another dad of daughters ask my dad that question and do it live, that was so cool. Awesome. What are you doing to grow your podcast? You're into content creation. You're into this world. What are you doing to grow your podcast, Rena? That's a great question. Yeah, I will say that one thing that I have done a lot of this past year is what we're doing right now, like podcasting swaps, like sharing 
similar audiences. I think if you can mm-hmm. find shows that complement yours, like Dads with Daughters or Internal Optimist, you know, people mm-hmm. that have the same values, that have the same direction, that are doing what you want to be doing, that is a great way to grow your show. Other things that I've done, I mean, I've had shows reach out to me. I had a reality star reach out to me because I've had some reality stars on the show. She was a mom of four. She was on Teen Mom. She was on 16 and Pregnant. She also has four kids like I do. And she was launching a new show. I think that our shows kind of matched up with some daddy drama. And we ended up doing a swap for 50,000 impressions and 50,000 impressions. And actually, when she reached out to me, I was still kind of in negotiations on getting Jerry Springer on the show. So I reached out to the publicist and I was like, look, if you're going to do it, you should do it now because she's going to get me the eyeballs. And that's really all I have to offer you as a thank you. (laughs) You know, I was like, you've done it all. So I know you've told me yes. I know you've told me no. The timing would be really good now. And then it worked. I like played them off each other. And I was like, hey, you're interested in like promoting my show. Like, I think you should do it around the Jerry episode. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. So find people stories that you can relate to, find people that have a similar type of audience and people that you connect with. Find your people. Find your people and lean into that. Like the more I lean into the daddy angle, I feel like the more it's grown. There was another guy, I'm going to give Johnny Spoiler a shout out, but you know, he had a very niche podcast called the Binge Watchers podcast where he talks about different 80s movies and things, but he had a whole community around that. And he had been doing it since like 2013 and he had never told his daddy story. So he had a built-in audience, but everybody was like jonesing for his personal story. So if you can find people that have like the trading podcast, but all he does is usually talk about investing and crypto and his strategies, talk about who he is as a person and as a dad, that is a really good way, I feel like, to grow your audience because they already have a built-in audience, but they haven't gone there. I've had huge spikes from doing this. Another guy, Alex Myers, I had him on. This was actually the first time I saw a huge spike. My intern was a huge fan of this guy, Alex Myers. He's a YouTuber. I had never even heard of the guy. He had 2 million subscribers on YouTube. And he's like an animator. He's a comedian. He doesn't even like so much show his face. He does like these cartoon reactions, again, to like movies and sitcoms and things but he had never shared his personal story. He had never shared his daddy angle. And I was the first one to get that. So if you can find people who you're interested in what they're doing and then apply it to your niche, Mm -hmm. there might be something there. Fascinating. This has been inspiring to hear you share these. So I'm going to ask you some questions that are random off the cuff here. When I say eternal optimism, what does that mean to you? I thought about that before the show and eternal optimism for me is believing that the next big thing is going to happen, that there's always something good around the corner. Are there any movies or songs that have been influential, inspirational to you that you can share? Oh my God. I love that question. We built this city. Do, do, do. We built this city on rock and roll. (laughs) Oh, great song. Great song. That song's on my Spotify girls crush it list. Cause my girls, three of them, seven, six, and four, we're in the car, we're riding around and the Jefferson, that, that one came up as similar to their favorite songs, which are Stevie Wonder. I just called to say, I love you. They, they love that one. They love Belinda Carlisle, heaven on earth, heaven's place on earth. Oh, I like that one too. I grew up yeah, during that era. Oh yeah. So I love your song. Any movies that really connected with you if you're a movie girl? Oh man. I mean, I'm an 80s girl, so I love Dirty Dancing. I always wanted to be lifted out of the water. (laughs) Nice. Well, you were on the Binge Watch podcast or you had Johnny on your podcast. I'm curious, are you a binge watcher of any kind of any show that really connected with you? Oh my God. Well, recently, I mean, I love true crime. I got really into that Dahmer series. I feel even a little twisted for saying that. But again, back to the like whole investigative journalism thing. I feel like I almost like miss my calling, but hey, I'm doing it on my podcast. I think that you can switch up your podcast, even though it's Better Call Daddy. I mean, if there's something that super interests you, go after it. My daddy can reflect on it, right? Like mix it up. Like you're mixing it up with this fire round right now. You have a new idea, try it. Especially if you don't have like millions of subscribers and like they're expecting something from you, get crazy. Have fun. I mean, people like fun. 
Sure do. Well, I'd ask you this. You mentioned earlier, you want to pull the story out that hasn't been told or something very unique about the person. And I'm curious, what's the unique story about you or something that we haven't talked about yet that you would like to share with the world? Mm, Well, I'll tell you a unique story about me that I don't talk about and that I'm still working through. You asked me what I can't really talk about. And that's like my relationship with my mom. I mean, my daddy is always who I call because she'd say no. And I'm like, all right, go ask dad. But I hope that maybe one day she'll listen to my podcast and like want to go deep with me. I think that that could add another layer or, but I have had on my grandmother. I've had on my daughter. My kids have asked some of my guests questions because I've had on people that they think are cool. Maybe I'll expand into having on a sister. I mean, that would be a challenge. I have a couple sisters. They both live abroad. I would like to add more like family element so people can know me in a different way or maybe even a best friend I've kept in touch with from college or from back home in Kentucky or something like that. And how do you view challenges? You've used that word a couple of times. What does that mean to you? A challenge? An obstacle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I see challenges as an obstacle or something hard to face, but there's always room for redemption. I love it. Always room for redemption. I'd love to redeem some of this and offer where are some places that we can find out more about you, Rena Friedman Watts, more Thank places you. where our audience can hear about you, websites, social media. Give us the list, please. And we'll put it in the show notes as well. I just want to say thank you. You are an excellent connector of dots and summarizer. And I know that you just started doing this, but you are good at it. You're an excellent interviewer. Thank you so much for being such a gracious host. Wow. I'm very impressed by you. So my podcast website is bettercalldaddy.com and I am a LinkedIn-aholic. That's my main channel. You can find me at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and on Twitter. I am kind of becoming a bit of a Twitter-aholic. You can find me in all those places. And everybody should leave a five-star review for this episode and send Matt amazing guests that are high intensity. Woo! Wow, that was fantastic. Couldn't have said that even better. That was amazing. And thank you for the compliment. I much appreciate it. I'm also a words of affirmation person. So I appreciate the, uh, the words of affirmation always. There is more to words of affirmation than just rah-rah and you can do it. I mean, it's got to be genuine and authentic and you really got to mean it. It's not simply just open, empty words, empty airspace. It's super genuine. Yeah, so I'm glad to connect with someone else who really values and appreciates that. So it has been a real pleasure and honor. You're the first guest ever. What? Oh my gosh. We just clicked. We just clicked record and just started going. We didn't even do any pre-chatting. We just clicked record and started recording some of the fun stuff in the beginning. And you've just been really easy to connect with. I think rule number one that you shared earlier about make people your best friend, you are teaching a masterclass on that today because in the most professional way, not too forward, I think professionally, I love you. You are awesome. I have really enjoyed you today. So thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank Uh, you. I just want to say my favorite words of affirmation are so simple and it can be really simple for people. If you let people know that you believe in them, that can transform someone's life. Absolutely. So I want to let you know, I believe in you and what you're doing. You're amazing at it. Keep it up. You Um, are gifted. On that note, just gratitude, appreciation to you, Rena. Thanks so much for being on and uh, look forward to having this published here soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.